Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from, head to a thing or two HQ.com and subscribe to our newsletter, sign up for Secret Menu, our jazzy new hub for members-only content, and do whatever else you want to do there. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us at, on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. We love reading your messages. And as a reminder, we are still offering free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at a thing or two HQ.com about that. Oh, this episode, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. We are um, recording in partnership with MoMA Design Store and their Design Innovations for Women project, which I don't know, like dream project for us to talk about. I, I mean, dream partnership for sure. I can't imagine. I, I'm so excited about this. You and I have been fans of MoMA Design Store since like college days at least. For sure. I remember you buying sure. me birthday presents from there. And this project speaks to so many things that we care about and so many things that we've talked about on this podcast in the past. Including solving problems. Including solving problems. Just um, one of the many things. <laughs> <laughs> so the MoMA Design Store's Design Innovations for Women project is essentially this huge selection of products representing the best new designs for women in the areas of sexuality, activity, and reproduction. So under reproduction, they include menstruation, pregnancy, motherhood, and menopause. It's all available through September 27th in their Soho store and online at store.moma.org. Obviously, it can be safely shopped during these times. Um, yes. They just opened and have taken great care to make sure that that is possible. Yes. All right. So essentially what, what this is, is this big group of products that are solving all of these problems for women or challenges for women or gaps in the market for women that haven't really existed in the past. And it's something that we've talked about in a lot of contexts. And it relates back to our somewhat recent episode about shopping responsibly, where we got into like how funding, for example, yeah, just has such a big impact on what is available to us as consumers. So yeah, we are really excited to see MoMA Design Store sort of diving in and highlighting this and, and doing so by surfacing so many beautiful and, um, and 
well impactful designed. Yeah, beautiful and impactful products. I think something that was really interesting in exploring this assortment was thinking about the rigor that they put into finding the sort of first movers in the market too. And mm-hmm. to think about, you know, who was putting out the first period underwear? Who was like creating and filling these... Um, who is creating solutions and filling this white space? I liked the sort of history lesson in some of that too. It is really interesting because it is that question of like, this didn't just start when venture capitalists finally decided that women were worth paying attention to. No, ma'am, right? never does. <laughs> never does. It's not how it ever works. <laughs> we are going to focus our conversation with the buyers from MoMA, Alex and Shay, who ran this, um, ran this pop-up and pulled this project together on menstruation, motherhood, and menopause. And I think it's really interesting to talk about these potential like life stages or life events that women experience and the way that design helps them navigate it. Um, and the way that having solutions suited for these things that take their problems and issues and just challenges into account shapes the experience and, and how they're able to move forward in their, the rest of their lives and just feel confident uh, in doing so. Absolutely. And, and they're all sort of these stages of your life or these challenges that women face that tend to be paired with a lot of vulnerability yeah. and some and sometimes a lot of strife and that is in part because of you know the way we think about women and treat women and do or do not serve women but to see these products that have been so thoughtfully designed and that offer not just functionality but also beauty and serving women at a time when they really benefit from those things is really moving i think and it's it's exciting to see this sort of like moment in history when we are finally turning our attention to these things marked in this collection we were also really excited to see so many products addressing menopause which i truly cannot believe that menopause is not being addressed in bigger ways on TV, on on podcasts, on in products. For, if nothing else, our it's a huge money making opportunity. Are baby boomers not the biggest generation? I feel like I've been, <laughs> I've been told that, and I and I had this understanding that there was money to be na- made in selling things to them, but apparently we're not interested. I don't get it. Just leaving so much money on the table by not funding and and selling more things related to menopause. Um, if you have not heard the Michelle Obama podcast that recently came out about menopause, it is so worth a listen and so wonderfully done. It's really exciting to hear somebody like Michelle Obama talk really candidly about it. And um, and it's exciting to see these products that are candidly addressing things like hot flashes on the shelf in in a store like this. I do think we are at this moment where Gen X is just not going to stand for it. They are not going <laughs> to, you know, they are not going to... This is where that Gen X angst is really going to really come out. They're, it's not totally happening. Right. <laughs> That's totally right. Um, I was also really excited to see a couple of products that I have used in this roundup. One specifically that I think we've talked about before is the LV Pelvic Floor Trainer, which is essentially, it's almost like a video game to strengthen your pelvic floor. It's this little object. I guess it's like a piece of machinery that you put inside your vagina. It pairs with an iPhone app. And then you do Kegels essentially as instructed by the iPhone app. And it leads you through these pelvic floor exercises in order with the aim of strengthening your floor, but also tracking your progress. You can sort of see like, have you gotten stronger, which is amazing and helpful for somebody like me who's experiencing postpartum urinary incontinence. Um, would you would you say that's an official endorsement from a, a, a really big deal peeing your pants influencer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that I felt very like, I don't know, validated in seeing in this uh in this roundup was the Haka breast pump, which I don't 
know, I cannot remember for the life of me where I learned about this thing. And it's been around forever, but it's a non-electric breast pump that is made out of silicone and it works just with suction. Mm -hmm. And it was really key for me in the early days when um, I just had so much supply and felt like my boobs were constantly leaking. You just can wake up at five in the morning and not have to turn on an entire machine and strap yourself up to it. It's wonderful. And it is so simple and basic and it has been around forever. And it was one of these beautiful things of like, thank you to the women who were looking out for me, who made this thing. I'm Because you know it was a woman who designed it. it yeah, like, yeah. So, so appreciative of it. Who wanted to be able to go camping and pump yes. or who knows, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I just, exactly. yeah, pr- solving problems that actually, you know, make our lives better and easier. That's um, right. Should we bring on our guests? Let's do it. Thank you so much to Caviar for sponsoring today's episode. I was so excited to see this advertiser come in because this is an app that I have been using, honestly, since it was first introduced in New York. I have always been impressed by the selection of restaurants that they have on board, many of which were the type that just would never have had delivery before Caviar came around. And honestly, the ordering experience is just delightful. They make it really easy to just treat yourself, which is really nice when you have been cooking for yourself and your family for as long as one has been in quarantine. I really hit a rut recently with home-cooked meals, just like can't do it anymore. And it has been really nice to be able to turn to caviar and feel like I'm treating myself, but also like I'm helping out the local restaurants in my neighborhood. I care so much about the restaurants in my neighborhood. I am so concerned for you know, what their future looks like. And it's been really nice to be able to, you know, order a treat for myself and my family and also know that I'm supporting them. So get the Caviar app and get the food you want. Their curated list of options offers quality meals with the convenience of in-app ordering. There are obviously a lot of delivery apps out there, but Caviar is the go-to to find local restaurants that can be delivered right to your doorstep. Caviar is available in over 25 major U.S. cities, which I didn't realize. And there are plenty of options to choose from. With the Caviar app, you can get the food you actually want. So get the Caviar app, get delivery, and get food you want. And just for our listeners, this is a very good offer, by the way. Caviar is offering $10 off an order of $20 or more, which I will definitely be taking advantage of. All you have to do is put in the offer code a thing or two at checkout. Remember, that's $10 off a purchase of $20 or more with offer code a thing or two. Download Caviar on the App Store or Google Play Store and use offer code a thing or two. In addition to getting a delicious meal for $10 off, you will also be helping support this show. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. And I am Andana Dayani. We decided to create a podcast to introduce you to the people who inspire us most. These are the dissenters. The people who just made a decision one day to break down the establishment and build a new one. In the greatest times of grief or even the most ordinary of circumstances, many heroes will rise. You just have to take that first step. So please tune in this May for our premiere episode and catch a new episode every Wednesday. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are heroes everywhere. Discover them. Become one. All right. We are so excited to continue this conversation with Che Costello and Alex Glazer, who were the buyers responsible for heading up this incredible project. Hi, you two. Hi. Hi. We're delighted to be here. So pumped. We are so pumped to get to dive into this with the people who actually, you know, know what they're talking about and aren't just talking around it like the two of us. (laughs) 
I hope. We're really excited to talk to other people about it because we've been talking about it for years, just the two of us. So it's delightful to share share the discussion. Um, to, to kick us off, can you talk us through both of your backgrounds and your roles and what your working relationships are with each other? Sure. Um, I'm Che and I've worked at MoMA for over... 20 years, which is really wild to even think about because who works the same place for like over 20 years? It's me, I guess, but (laughs) it's been really different. Uh, I started out really administrative working in product development, which is a great way to enter the design world because I learned about how things are made, how things are manufactured, working closely with designers and factories. Um, And then I you know, went on to become a buyer and get to travel around the world and meet with designers and pick out product assortments and work with curators on exhibition product um, and kind of worked my way up until now. I, I'm the associate director of merchandising. So I oversee a terrific group of really talented buyers. And we're the ones who kind of are out there finding the products um, for Moment Design Store. And then this is Alex speaking. Um, Alex is asked- the best intern yeah. ever. Thank you. I hope no other interns are listening. Um, (laughs) No, but I actually did begin actually as Che's intern. So I began, um, I had graduated college and it was sort of during the financial crisis. And I had interned a lot before, but definitely didn't expect to leave school. And then a year later, continuing to do that. Um, Me either. Same, same. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But I sort of think everything, you know, like most people want to believe happens for a reason. And so I began interning um, at MoMA under the retail team and I worked directly with Che and it was really exciting and a lot of fun. And I thought, oh, this is something that I didn't necessarily know existed in the museum world, um, but was so enamored by everything that we were doing. Um, And so then I became her assistant Um, And now I am actually the buyer for personal accessories. And it's been really, although we've obviously worked together, I've now been there 10 years. It's been really great to like work together really, like literally intimately on this project. And I think from the very beginning of our working together, I've always deeply valued about working with Alex is that she's very intuitive and empathetic and getting in your own, your thought, my thought process to understand how I tick or how I think something should be done. But she also is a very independent thinker. So you get like somebody who understands where you're coming from, but somebody who's still going to challenge you and have their own perspective and enrich the projects you're working on. And I think that's something that's been a through line for us working together uh, over, I guess, a decade now. And I think it's very, um, emblematic of this this project is very emblematic of that dynamic of her having her own ideas and uh, really exploring them and challenging us to all get on board. We really want to explore that more a little later in the conversation because obviously the work-wife dynamic is really important to us, but I also think it really informed this project, it seems like. But before we do that, can you... for people who are listening who might not be as familiar with MoMA Design Store, can you give us a sense of what the store is, what it does, and how it relates to MoMA the museum? Yeah. I mean, MoMA is a really unique museum in that it's the first museum to have a curatorial department dedicated to uh, modern architecture and design. And as early as the 1930s, you could go into MoMA and you would see your Matisse and Picasso's, but you would also see design objects. 
so the museum itself was really pioneering and elevating design as being as important to our culture as the more traditional media, like painting and sculpture. MoMA Design Store is very much in the legacy of, of that. Uh, we're always looking to MoMA's design collection exhibitions for inspiration behind what we're doing. And in many ways, we we challenge ourselves to be the conduit between the museum's collection and exhibitions and the contemporary design world. So we want to be documenting important design movements and bringing the products that uh, illustrate those design movements to people. Love that so much. So how did Design Innovations for Women come about and and what what makes it sort of uniquely appropriate for MoMA Design Store? I think... I'll sort of field this one. Um, you know, Che had kind of mentioned, we certainly pay attention to and watch design movements. And part of that is just kind of taking the pulse and really like keeping ourselves open to things that are happening around us. And maybe that's specifically in the design world, but that's also more in like a cultural conversation. So we were just seeing this, you know, what starts as small things, but really grew into a conversation that was really open and honest um, or becoming so about women's bodies. So maybe it was, you know, a podcast of young women that live in the Bronx talking about their periods. Which had the best name, by the way. Shh, periods. Exactly. (laughs) And now we're like screaming it. So love that. It's like, ah, periods. (laughs) Exactly. Um, but we were sort of seeing these conversations being held and at the same time seeing products coming out that were certainly solving problems or addressing women's needs, but really done in an elegant way. And it sort of felt like all of a sudden we had this critical mass of designs that could really tell a story. I remember um, we do curatorial reviews for everything that we sell, and that involves showing and you know, working with the curators to make sure that everything that we are putting in the stores is really upholding the values of good design that the museum sets forth. And that's always changing and it's always a dialogue. But I remember an early curatorial review where we had shown a handful of products in that design innovations for women's space. And it was probably just very nascent idea, but it sort of sparked a conversation with us internally and it was like, this is a good idea, but push it. Because right now it feels just like a thought-provoking idea. Um, And we sort of grew that and grew that until we have this amazing assortment of nearly 50 items um, that really address women's needs. And it's pretty exciting. We're always documenting various design movements. And it does start, like as, as Alex described it, this nascent, you start reading articles or you start seeing projects or there's an exhibition about it. And it's in the theoretical realm. And as I always say, and probably too often, the vernacular that we speak at MoMA Design Store are products that you can put on a shelf and sell and people can bring into their home. So at first we were like, oh, this is a really exciting breast pump, but how do you how do you sell a breast pump next to a vase and a chair and, you you know, um, a speaker? Like we didn't really know how to show the story or tell the story in our environment. So we had to do a lot of work to build that into something. Did you come up with a solution? Like how do you sell a breast pump next to a vase? So the way we came up with it was that 
it had to be a story that hung together. So we wanted to, like, there were all these different voices. Um, Maybe it's about menstruation and maybe it's about motherhood. Maybe it's about sexuality or activity. But the through line was frankly acknowledging and discussing the needs of women's bodies and solving problems and making their everyday lives better. So once we decided, like, that's what we're telling. We're telling that that story. And we're using products to illustrate that story. But we need, you know, probably a good, uh, a good, critical mass to illustrate the story. If you only have three products to tell that story, it doesn't seem like that's really a design movement you're showing. <laughs> you know, so once we really had uh, this critical mass of designs, we decided let's do it in a pop-up space in our Soho store and let's do it as a, a design movement story. Because when we're following things like sustainability and we find a great new recycled glass collection, it's easy enough to bring into the design store and merchandise it next to other glass. But this we wanted to tell together as a succinct story. Once you decided to tell the story, how did you determine which pieces and which stories to incorporate into that? This is how we sort of bring together any product story. And it's that we cast a really wide net. We do a lot of research um, on the different topics, different, you know, sometimes we're looking for things specifically. So we knew with this, we were looking for designs for women. Sometimes it's just seeing what's out there. But after that, we do a lot of product research. We had amazing conversations with designers and innovators and people that are really in this space full time. And that was really inspiring and kind of made us feel like, oh, we're doing something really good and really right. After that, we then worked with people like our curators. Um, Che can speak to it, but she actually consulted with an OBGYN on the project. And then we really looked a lot to our peers. We happened to be an office like rich in women and really wonderful women. And thankfully, it's a space in which people have felt comfortable discussing um, these things. So we did some focus groups with our colleagues and friends of all ages and backgrounds and kind of one just looked at the products we were considering and said, would you use this? Do you think it's good design? What are we missing from the assortment? Um, And those were some of the conversations I loved the most because I'm used to talking a lot and Che's used to talking a lot, but it was great hearing other people's opinions as well. One of the things we're really interested in and excited that we have the opportunity to ask you about is what these conversations looked like in the context of a professional office and how you sort of broke the awkwardness barrier, especially when it came to involving men. And you said you're a majority female office, but I mean, there must have been men in these conversations, especially with the specter of of Me Too hanging over everything. How do you think about, like, how do we have conversations about sex and vulvas and uh, menstruators? Yeah, Mm -hmm. vibrators, exactly. And do it in a way that feels like real, but also professionally appropriate. I think we we began by talking about it ourselves, right? Because we have a lot of intense discussions about, you know, the the heritage of Scandinavian glassware and different things like that. So we started researching and discussing it and talking about the different articles we were reading and looking at the designs um, amongst ourselves. And then we started bringing it to a bigger group. Um, and I think that it was important to both of us to, as role models in this discussion to just talk about it frankly. The voices we were seeking to amplify were these voices of people who were saying, it's not taboo, it's not stigma. If we can use objectified women's bodies to sell everything from you know car to fragrance to beer, we could acknowledge the existence of those women's bodies to better serve them in their everyday needs. So let's go into the meeting and talk about menstru- 
menstruation and talk about sexual health. And I think one of the hardest things for both Alex and I was to not make a joke, right? Because that's how you dispel discomfort. We just frankly talk about what's important about these designs, what make them good designs, why they're better than other things that are available. And that was something that we do with everything. If we're going to be carrying, you know, um, an outdoor like woven lawn chair, we're going to research the history of it and make sure that we're carrying the original best version of it. So that was the process. Again, when we were looking at the breast pump, we looked at a gazillion breast pumps. We're only offering two examples in our product assortment. We looked at a bunch of different options for period underwear. There are a lot of terrific ones. We ended up going with the the brand that initially offered uh, period underwear commercially. So they're kind of the pioneers and the originators. So we were excited about working with them. So it was always kind of using the same rubrics that we would use when looking for good design, but applying it in this area. Can you talk about how you thought about the the term women or defined women in the context of this project? Definitely. And we, in the context of this project, we're really looking at women from like a physiological perspective. So those who, you know, for example, lactate or have breasts or can, you know, breastfeed. So we definitely got a lot of feedback on that. And we're really pressure tested to really open up the conversation to those who might identify as a different gender. And I think that's a really amazing and important aspect of it, but we wanted to kind of narrow the discussion um, and focus on designs that really dealt with like specific body parts and body needs. We have a handful of things that are certainly non-gendered or slightly more unisex in like the sex toy category, as well as um, we have a pair of period underwear that are shaped more like a boxer brief so that they are there for um, those who identify as transgender men. Um, But we also know that the conversation regarding gender is a really broad and bigger conversation than what we're trying to do here. And we feel like it probably deserves its own pop-up and its own version of this um, sort of deep dive and felt like this wasn't really what we were trying to do with the story or even like capable of doing at this point. Agreed. Gender fluidity is uh, really important area of design development. And it's a movement that we're following. We're talking to designers. We're super interested in seeing where it goes. But we also we wanted to grab this moment and just be like, you know, breast, vagina, vulvas, uterus, like all of these things are, you know, half people on the planet have them and half people on the planet menstruate. So let's address the needs of those sort of physiological, uh, traditionally female bodies and the way that these designers have, have been addressing them. And I should say that most of the designers, they're really overt about, you know, who the design is for. So they may not say it's for a woman, but it's a design for vulvas specifically. And I think that was something that was kind of inspiring and helped give us cues on how to have the discussion because frankly, I came into it really not feeling like I was an expert in that category. And I don't know if I am at this point, but I I feel more confident in explaining what kind of body part it could be utilized for. And while we were developing this, we, we found out in the news that always had removed the female symbol for, from all of their mm. menstrual products because a lot of people who menstruate don't necessarily identify as being female. And that was that. something that we were discussing. We were like, okay, well, we're going to be carrying like tampons and we're carrying pads and we're carrying, you know, um, the menstrual cup, but it's not necessarily for people only to identify as being women. In all of the language describing this project, it, there's 
a very specific call out to this focus on menstruation, motherhood, and menopause, which we love. And, you know, we talk about how menopause in particular is something that's so under addressed. Um, menstruation is, you know, in many parts of the world still really under addressed. And curious and just in many socioeconomic populations. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and to, to say nothing of all the ways uh, motherhood is is underserved, <laughs> but can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you thought about what products you really needed to have represented in that mix? I can uh, talk a bit about, you know, so menstruation specifically, and maybe I feel more, I've yet to have a child and I've yet to start menopause. So it feels like a space I'm probably more well-versed and comfortable in. Um, but a lot of things that we were seeing is we really wanted to offer up sort of a broad range of what a woman might utilize and trying to give options that were more innovative and more forward thinking than when you what traditionally used. So we were speaking with a lot of designers and realizing that the American market specifically, there's a couple of things in play. One is that most young women utilize what their mothers utilized as well, or sort of taught them and gave them. Um, and I think specifically about myself and it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I didn't even consider that, but Same. I use a non-applicated tampon and my mom always did. And that was part of it. And then it was also seeing that the American market specifically, you know, no matter what options existed, almost 90% of women prefer a tampon with a plastic applicator in the United States. And like, you can tell them a million things that might be better for their bodies and better for the environment, but it just wasn't what was translating into sales. And so we really wanted to show that there are options out there for people who want to use organic cottons, for people who maybe prefer something that still has that plastic applicator feel. So for example, we're working with a brand, um, they're two cousins based out of Rhode Island, and they wanted to create period products for their daughters that were better for themselves and better for the world. And they ended up creating an applicator that has the look and feel of plastic, but it's actually made of organic material. So it's a bioplastic applicator. And they were kind of the first people to do that. And we thought that was a really amazing solution. Um, what company is that? They're called Top, the Organic Project. Um, and so we'll be offering both tampons as well as a pad from them, um, all made of organic cottons. And then there's people like the Diva Cup, which I think we've all sort of like seen the menstrual cup maybe in spaces, but it's really rare, quite honestly, to find women who utilize them. And it's well, I was surprised, Alex, when we had our focus groups with our colleagues, and as Alex said, they were really interesting because we're usually getting together in conference rooms to look at like sales analysis and projections. And now we're looking at all of these like amazing, you know, innovative designs for women and with women from all backgrounds and ages. And there were certainly women there who were, you know, grown and had had children who'd never heard of a menstrual cup. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, one of the things that the folks from Diva Cup had sort of brought to life was that a typical woman will produce 300 pounds of menstrual waste in their lifetime. And so you have that just sort of like going into landfills, being flushed down the toilet, even though my toilet certainly cannot handle that. Um, <laughs> but they're sort of producing all this waste. And instead you could you know, purchase yourself one Diva cup that's both washable, reusable, and at the end of its life cycle, it's then re recycled as well. So it's sort of providing solutions. And then finally, we have the period underwear, 
which ends up also being a totally washable, reusable pair of underwear that you can kind of go about your regular life while still wearing. And that's from Isle. So we noticed this really amazing theme of pushing the designs forward, but also through a sustainable lens, which sort of was a pretty amazing thing to surface. Did you expect to see the sustainability angle take off from this or was it just sort of happenstance or just the trends that were surfacing in in the products themselves? Personally, it was a surprise. I think that we had seen a handful of things like there's this really amazing company based out of the UK that are actually making a reusable applicator. Um, And so that was kind of coming up on Um, Kickstarter or maybe Indiegogo. So we were seeing some innovation there. And obviously the period underwear has become more commonplace when you see ads on the subway. Um, But for me, it was sort of a revelation, realizing that the way forward for all of these things and all of those like waste that people produce could be just a more sustainable option. And I think a couple of through lines we saw in menstrual products was that this renewed focus on sustainability and realizing how much waste was being created in that industry, and also realizing that big corporations in that industry were not regulated. So even though these are you know products that are going to be in contact with either your, your vaginal wall, your vulva, there was no requirements for having to state what was in them or making sure they're organic. So really uh, a critical mass of people who wanted to find better designs, who wanted to say, yeah. I, I want my tampon to be organic cotton. I want to make sure it's better for the planet as well. And I should have the ability to do that. So those were two things that we thought were super um, prevalent and coming up in a lot of our discussions around menstruation. And then um, then there was menopause, which came for us as it comes for all women, because we did not plan to focus on menopause. I mean, I had read Darcy Stanke's um, you know, terrific book uh, like about menopause and was thinking about it as you know, a health issue, not as something for design to solve. Mm-hmm. And when we started having our focus groups, it kept coming up. And even in our curatorial reviews, they said, hey, don't you have anything for menopause? Is there anything interesting for menopause? Um, and we really didn't have anything good. And we started to research it. And we started seeing a lot of things that were geared towards like anti-aging, which was not what we were interested in. And a lot of hacks that women were like doing it themselves and trying to figure out ways to deal with hot flashes so nobody would notice. And they weren't good solutions. So we redoubled our efforts and we really um, sought out many, many options, many of which we did not go with, but we ended up with a nice little assortment of things that we really do think help address the symptoms of menopause. But that's an area that I want the discussion to be ongoing. I hope designers find much better ways of, of helping women manage those symptoms. How were you thinking about product testing these things? We did a lot of product testing individually, but we also, you know, when it comes to things like menopause, we really also wanted to make sure that we were not, we were testing it with people who were experiencing those symptoms as well. Um, And Che has a really great anecdote about like trying to subtly figure out who's yeah, wandering around the office, yeah. just being like, hey, is it hot in here? Is it you? What's going on, people? <laughs> um, but what, I mean, because we do have this terrifically rich environment that we work in with a lot of women that we've worked together with for a while, there was an enthusiasm around it. And we kind of had some advocates who were, who were they might work in like accounting or they might work in, in on the store uh, sales floor, but they just loved the initiative. And we asked one of the, those people who work in the office who knows everybody and knows everything, listen, we need to find someone who's going 
you a hot flash. And she's like, I got you. I got you. Just give me the samples and, <laughs> and I'll let you know if they work or not. So there were a few things that we uh, sent, sent around anonymously to have tested uh, for people who were actively having menopausal symptoms, which is a crazy scenario if you think about it, because the extremity of what they're feeling and how you often can't tell from the outside is this really crazy tension. But we wanted to be mindful of their privacy, but also just really wanted to be able to put that seal of approval. This was the first time in my working at MoMA where I felt the need to consult a doctor on a project because a lot of the things we were looking at came with studies and came with all of these sort of um, you know, testing regulations and, and FDA and different things. And while I could understand them, I didn't necessarily understand if it was a significant testing. So I was lucky enough to reach out to my friend, Dr. Veronica Addis, who's an amazing OBGYN and also recently had a baby. She was really helpful with a lot of things like breast pumps and, and looking at um, the, the pelvic floor trainer by LV uh, to kind of give it that sort of imprintor of, of saying, you know, this is a really good design. This does solve a problem. This is one of the best in class type things. Uh, so that was a relief to be able to have that resource. Can we talk about breast pumps as a category for a second? Because I think that is something that, you know, at least I understand over the last few years, the ways that design has just really changed that market and changed the way that women think about pumping and the access that they have to it. Breast pumps were the first time I ever actually thought about designs for women's bodies as being like true like museum worthy design objects. I had my first child a little over 11 years ago. And back then the breast pump was like that big Medela suitcase you travel around everywhere with. And for me, that was a lifesaver because I was able to work and I was able to pump and I was able to provide my child with milk. Uh, but now I think it's so much nicer that women took a chunk out of my day every day. I didn't, I worked in a cubicle, so I had to go hang out in a sample closet. It wasn't ideal. And to have something like the LV, which is hands-free, which is silent, which you could use while you're doing other things, while you're working, while you're walking, while you're having lunch, I think it's a true uh, problem solver. And it's a way that design has allowed women to... I was actually thinking of this through line of like women leaving, like as women exit the domestic sphere, the way design has always helped that. Like actually the commercial, the commercial industry for menstruation kind of began in the industrial revolution when we were first leaving the domestic sphere to work mm. in factories and things like that. And then post-World War II, there was more like another surge in like, you know, menstrual products and commercials. But the breast pump in my lifetime has been a really important game changer allowing women to be able to work and feed their babies. Yeah. I mean, it's much like many of these menstruation products we're talking about. It's it's liberating women, you know, physically, economically, and allowing them to live their lives and deal with these physical realities while also being productive members of society and of their and families. Think, yeah. And I think it's interesting that some of the earliest versions of the breast pump were like, designed by men and geared more toward like the this sort of um, milking industry designs. Uh -huh. And the newer ones are based more on like the actual sucking motion of a baby and the letdown and the more intuitive and they respond more to what's happening in your body than just like feeling like you're being milked. Yep. 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 Well, makes sense. <laughs> I think one thing was really interesting um, when we were having conversations with people like LV. So they sell a version that has both one pump or two pumps. And We'll be selling the version with two pumps because it turns out that most American women, unfortunately, have to go back to work significantly earlier 
due to like a lack of things like maternity leave than our counterparts in places like Europe. And so I think although there's really amazing innovation in the design space, we're designing around a world that isn't really built for us. And so, you know, Che mentioned having to pump into something like the sample closet. Well, wouldn't that be nice if we just had a space for that or if we could be home? But that's a that's not really what Che and my job is here. We're <laughs> providing you with solutions for the world in which we find ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> it's such an important point. And I, I, so I had a wireless breast pump when I was breastfeeding and I was really excited about all of the freedom that it offered, but I never got to a place where I felt comfortable doing it in a meeting because it's still big. Right. And like you could, it's still, it's, it's obvious. Right. And I say that as someone who worked in an, an office that was entirely women and I was the boss. And I'm curious if having these conversations and the way that you've had them in your office now and you know, getting as deep as you have in these conversations, do you feel like it's changed the dynamic of your office where you know, maybe women might feel comfortable pumping in a meeting or you know, just, just sort of having these conversations and, and dealing with these realities in a more open way? I really hope so. And I, I definitely feel that it's opened up a dialogue. And that's kind of what we're saying throughout this. We want to amplify a conversation we saw happening and we want to continue it. And in our little microcosm of where we work, because we have these focus groups, we get like constant emails from people being like, hey, did you see these postpartum panties? These are like, they kind of think of us as the, the people who they're comfortable talking with about these things. And if they see an interesting new vibe on the market, they'll send it over to us. So it's definitely um, expanded the areas of, of conversation we have with people who we primarily have a professional relationship with. Have you both gotten more comfortable talking about these topics and you know saying the word vulva in public um, <laughs> now that you have made it such a core part of your work over the last however long? Yeah, I mean, I sort of came from a place of like maybe I didn't know what was inappropriate, <laughs> and so it. Um, but I've always sort of like. And it's, you know, possibly how I was raised. And I was probably brought up in a space that supported me in that way and allowed me that freedom, which I'm very thankful for that privilege. Um, but I think that, you know, Che talked about kind of talking about things frankly and with a certain amount of confidence that's helped it. I also think, you know, I've obviously been pretty reflective over these past few months and a lot of the experience of working from home and having your typical barriers broken down. So, you know, certainly we're all a bit more vulnerable. I'm not wearing makeup. You've probably all seen me on Zoom in my pajamas, but maybe you thought it was a regular shirt. Um, but it's just made the things that you used to feel, at least for me, the things that I felt discomfort or embarrassed about can't really exist anymore because there's so much other noise taking up that emotional space. Um, so it's just allowed for, you know, I don't know, a bit more honesty. I think we're me. a great uh, like test case in different levels of comfort talking about yes. these things. <laughs> Little Alex, your mom is like a nurse. And I think you're very, like she was very great about like sex education and just talking openly about these things. My degree was in Victorian studies. So I have like, you know, <laughs> a great background in being repressed. <laughs> but I was like, okay, let's do this. So let's talk about it. For me, because I'm a research nerd, you know, once... Once I just kind of start digging into the, the facts about it and the history and getting so excited about like finding out, you know, who invented the sports bra and when it was invented, you know, that kind of enthusiasm carried me into a greater comfort in discussing these things. Have you learned anything about yourself through this process? 
For, for me, I, this was a really challenging project in a lot of ways. And naturally, I'm, I'm introverted. I'm a researcher. I like to be behind the scenes. I like to write copy and edit copy and put together product stories and make things look beautiful visually. But not necessarily being somebody interviewing a podcast or talking to the press. Um, but because we have, we have a lot of great leadership at Moma Design Store, but they tend to be male. So this initiative made sense for me to kind of come out from behind the sort of curtain and speak out and speak up. And it's always intimidating to do that. And I found it to be so, but also kind of exciting as well. It has changed my behavior, definitely, and things I'm comfortable talking about as a mom. I have two boys, and I was listening to Michelle Obama's podcast about menstruation. I was like, boys, get in here. You got to hear it. Michelle's talking about menstruation. I don't think usually I would like super prioritize their being like looped in at ages like eight and 11 on, you know, the ins and outs of Michelle Obama's menstrual cycle. But it's really inspiring to think about the fact that you are putting this collection in a space that children are going to encounter it. And there are probably a lot of moms out there that are going to have a similar experience. That's one of the things that's so powerful about the fact that this isn't in a women, quote unquote women's store. It's not in a sex shop. It's in a, a, a physical space that people go to to consume goods about life in general, right? And this is life in general. And it's really exciting to think about the conversations that this is going to spark as a result of that. Yeah, we... I mean, there's sort of two things to that. One is we actually do have designs for younger people as well, which we're really excited about. There's something called the period game, which was designed by former RISD graduates who were trying to create something that sort of puts the idea of your period and what that period means for your body, how to talk about it with people. What can you use to, you know, you can you use a period underwear, a menstrual cup, um, but kind of create those conversations from a young age. And that's for anybody who might be a young woman or a young man or at anything in between. And then we have things like plush animals that are plush sort of toys that are shaped like a uterus or shaped like an egg in a sperm cell. So we are trying to get to the sort of, you know, broad range of ages Oh, yeah. We also have the first period kit, which is like a kit that comes with like a tampon and pads and they're organic. They're by the organic project and like a little booklet. And, and I think that's a great sort of way of including people and making it something that's yeah, just like frank and, and out there. Of yeah. What we would hope for in the long run is that I think it does take a kind of bold statement to start t- telling these stories and doing it in a cohesive way so that we have this full collection that you know, obviously we know that there's a lot of designs out there that are really amazing that we maybe couldn't include or didn't include, but kind of telling this story now, but we really foresee it in that maybe down the line, you would walk into MoMA Design Store and you'd see that same vibrator that was in this, you know, Design Innovations for Women is just on the shelf next to a different kind of product that we sell, because ultimately we believe these are good designs and good designs for a reason. And it's just, they should be there and out and open and available to the public. What we were seeing from many of these brands and designers was a real sea change in the way they were 
packaging and marketing mm. their own products. You know, you kind of think of the shame aisle and Rejoin Reed where you go down, you know, and everything looks medicalized and not attractive. And then you look at some of these um, brands and their packaging like Isle or like Dame, and they look like high-end beautiful beauty products. So you see uh, menstrual underwear uh, or razors advertised in the subway and these really beautiful creative um, advertisements that make them seem much more at home in a, a design store or a department store. When we were looking at a lot of these products, uh, when talking to the brands and designers, we had this pitch deck to explain to them why their designs might make sense in the context of our store. And none of them were surprised at all. They were like, of course, these are design objects. They do belong in moment design right, store. Right, 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 right. We realized maybe we're trying to convince ourselves more, like we're kind of catching up a little bit. Who else are you looking to as leaders in this space or where should people go to sort of dig deeper into this topic? So someone, um, it's a former colleague of ours at MoMA. She's now at the MFA in Boston. Um, Her name is Michelle Fisher and she's an amazing um, design curator who has a real focus on um, designs for women. And she has a project right now called Designing Motherhood. It's a curatorial research project. There's an Instagram. She's working on a book and an exhibition. And we kind of have consulted with her in some ways on this. And I think personally, I've always found her to be a pretty inspiring and, you know, like totally wonderful ally and communicator. And I think you should check out what she's doing and what she's kind of voicing and bringing to the surface. Agreed. Because I'm such a design history nerd, a lot of my inspiration came from like digging into the past and researching Georgiana Terry, who designed the first bike saddle Mm. for women, and um, Lisa Lindahl and Polly Smith, who designed the first sports bra in 1977 by sewing together two jock straps. But it's so late, it's so crazy. I know it is. And we were just in our pop-up space this morning, helping like put finishing touches and we had our MoMA sports bra out there and we're so excited about rocking it soon. I um, cannot wait to get my hands on the MoMA sports bra. That's so, so it's good. It's pretty so good. amazing. Um, other things that I, you know, look to uh, and I'm interested in always following Womanly Magazine where they, they seek to provide uh, accessible healthcare information to women and non-binary people through visual and literary arts. They're kind of like blending healthcare with arts. Um, I love the podcast Nisa, The Unmentionables. Mm, yes. It's about the fourth trimester, kind of your postpartum life. And on Instagram, we love Nisa. Yeah, I was listening to, and also the fifth trimester, which is they were kind of describing as like when you go back to work after your postpartum. That adjustment and on Instagram, um, I love uh, Sarah Reardon. She's a pelvic floor physical therapist and she Instagrams under the period, vagina period, whisperer period. She had a terrific how to recently about during COVID when we're going on road trips or if you're hiking um, and you're going to pee outside, what is the best form to use while doing that? Which I thought was a really helpful, useful, service. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly servicey. Wow. This has all been incredible. This is a dream for us because one of the goals was to amplify the conversation and keep it going. So here we are having the conversation. As a reminder, this incredible pop-up is available now through September 27th at the MoMA Design Store in Soho and also at online at store.moma.org. So check it out. 
We are so thrilled that we are all able to experience the MoMA Design Store's Design Innovations for Women pop-up. And then we got to speak with Che and Alex today. This has been so wonderful and informative and just inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com.